By the way, can I just point out, you've just invented a new word. Entertainmenting. Well, hi. Oh, hi, Michelle. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, okay, it's okay. You look different. Well, I probably sound different as well. I can't even say sound because for <laughs> anyone who has actually seen our latest Roundup video, yeah. which uh, is on YouTube and I believe are going to be on the website shortly, I did the unveiling of the braces. Metal mouth. Tin grin. <laughs> Adult braces. Now, obviously, you have your own reasons for doing that. How do you feel wearing braces? I believe you had them as a, as a teen. I did. I had them as a teenager. But I'm sure we, can, we can't tell us. Us eavesdroppers can't tell, can we, guys? We can't hear a thing. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. But do you know what? Like, the weird thing is supply chain in this country, they've... They've ruined everything. So I thought I was actually going to have like full grills, mm. you know, like be a bit hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I've got, I've got white on top and grill on the bottom. So it's interesting. Hey-ho. Sometimes I think that they're even there, <laughs> Michelle. Anyway, I think you're being kind anyway. <laughs> so welcome listeners. Welcome eavesdroppers to this week's edition of our eavesdropping podcast with me, Geordie, her, Michelle. Hello. This week was our first unveiling of our monthly musings. If you you haven't seen that on our social me- media what Michelle and I have now done is a YouTube video of us talking about 20 minutes we're going to try and keep it at 20 because we know you guys have a busy life so what we did is we just chit-chatted didn't we Michelle about the four episodes we've had that month of January 2022 so now in four weeks time we'll do another one but what you need to do is go onto YouTube's and sign up yes yeah, so the sign up's fantastic because then you never miss any of our amazing content but yeah we've got the monthly drop so there it is I like to call them monthlies Michelle (laughs) the monthlies have you had your monthlies yet I hope that all you eavesdroppers out there will have your monthlies so (laughs) let's move on did we get any feedback about our UFO stroke empaths episode last week featuring Sean Riders well I did have a lot and I mean a lot of comments on the social media video where you are dancing like Sean Ryder and I'm dancing like Bez. That took a lot of effort on your part, I have to say. Not much on mine, but a lot on yours. You really went for it. Well, I, well, you have to because Bez was always going yeah. for it. The thing is, I saw a friend last night and she said, oh yeah, I saw that one. You look absolutely mad. <laughs> and that was the general comment from quite a few people. But you know, was mad well was he mad or was he just very happy I think I think he was chemically very happy so. I, look, I have to say I actually saw a picture of him which I'm going to tell you about in a minute and I have mm. to say that you one thing you didn't capture Michelle although I think you did him brilliantly in that social media post on Instagram at eavesdrop and underscore was you didn't capture the eyes oh they're <laughs> white the whites are very <laughs> Very, very, very big wide He's got the mad eyes. eyes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the reason why I saw that picture was because the other day, Mish, when I was walking down the street, I passed 
my usual news agent and sometimes I just stop and have a quick glance across all the, the tabloids and see what's new. And there was this fantastic yeah. headline with which paper now? The Daily Star. Our favourite. <laughs> we love the Daily Star. Well, I, I suspect that most of the stories in there are made up. So bear with me when I tell you this one. The, the headline caught my eye. It said, Lost Ness. Underneath it oh. said, and that's not the craziest thing we've heard this week, meaning the state of the world and our government yeah. in the UK, etc. The story was that someone took a picture of Loch Ness Monster or something that looked like the Mo- Loch Ness that looked like the mo- <laughs> I can't even say it that <laughs> looked like the Loch Ness Monster in Wimbledon. They reckon he's travelled. How I don't know. So this is what I mean by the Daily Star. They get things wrong. They showed the picture, Mish. You could probably find it and list it in our. Little notes at the bottom. I'll put it in the show notes. But Wimbledon? I'll tell you what I think it is. Well, for one, I know Wimbledon Common very, very well. I I've spent, have spent a lot of time there and I still don't live too far from it. I will go again. I know the area of water they're talking about. It's nothing more than a pond. So I really don't know how a monster would have gotten there. And yes, it does look a bit like a Loch Ness monster. It also looks like a tree branch. So, <laughs> well, 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 my next question is, are the waterways joined up? No. Is there it? No. Of course not. <laughs> Fuck that. So he had to travel over land and sea. Yes, he didn't. What he joke. or she or they, if, if you're talking about <laughs> the Loch Ness monster, aka Nesse. The woke Nesse. <laughs> but also in the Daily Star. So I, I looked at that paper today mm. on my Readly subscription and discovered the story. <laughs> it wasn't that great. But what I did find when I turned the page was famous spoon bender Yuri Geller. You know him, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah He's yeah. the Israeli guy that used to bend spoons with his mind. He says that aliens are on their way. And he said there's a team of yeah. astrophysicists or whatever, like we saw on yeah. Sean Ryder's UFO documentary. People are looking at those skies with humongous telescopes and they've been recording bursts of energy deep into our solar system that go off three mm. times every hour. And the scientists, the scientists have never seen the likes of it, Michelle. It sounds crazy. Yes, they are shocked. They said it's spooky. In fact, one leading astrophysicist said it's spooky. We haven't seen anything like that before. Nothing known to us will do that in the skies. And she also said it's quite close at 4,000 light years away. So. What? Yuri Geller, on the other hand, he thinks that the aliens will probably be here in about 75 years. I don't know why he thinks that, but that's his take. That's his take on it. The following page. One moment. Oh, yes. The following page is when I saw dear old Bez in his blue tartan suit. He was about to appear on the Lorraine Kelly show and he's getting married and Sean will be his best man. So there's our Bez news. I didn't even think he was still in the headlines. Poor Bez. I thought you were going to say in the market. Yeah, he's on the market. He's not on the market anymore, ladies. He's about to be taken off. (laughs) Sad days. So, talking about scientists, oh yeah, we had an, an amazing comment from Neil the Scientist who wrote basically an essay. It's so long and detailed, I can't actually like talk all about it now. But if you go onto the Eavesdropping Facebook, you can find it because he talks all about flat earth, moon landing, he debunks some theories and also he says he never used a Bunsen burner. So oh. there you go. <laughs> and he says he, he has worked with the space program. Oh. So guys, yeah. So Neil the Scientist, get on the Facebook and read all about it. Read all Fab. about it. Okay. So what are we talking about this week, Michelle? Well, I don't know what you're talking about, but 
I sort of was inspired by the drinks we had the other night with the gorgeous Laura. A drinks party conversation that was sparked up. Yes. Well, look, she's a nurse. And when she was talking about, because, you know, we were talking about prescription drugs and fentanyl and oxy and all the stuff, which I think that's actually an episode in itself. But I've got to put a pin in all these things. Anyway, I was telling her, oh, that's right. You're a nurse. Well, you know, you should really watch Mary Kills People. Which I'd never heard of. It's a great Canadian TV series. And actually, my sister was the one who put me onto it. It's basically about this hot doctor called Mary who, you know, she kills people. But it's not like Dexter or one of those murder shows. It actually takes this really complex issue of, you know, the whole medically assisted death. Euthanasia. Yes. And it just takes it to a whole new level because Mary isn't some crazy angel of death doctor who's like a serial killer in disguise. She's providing a service that people believe they have the right to choose and you know what she's doing is technically illegal and it's a murky gray area it sparks so much debate Mm. but despite the flippant name of this tv series it's actually really layered and really entertaining because she's hot there's like hot kind of romance dude and you know it's it's just a really good tv show and it's a bit of a comedy too so i enjoyed it and it's definitely a series i would recommend where would you find that michelle and by the way can i just point out you've just invented a new word what did i say entertaining what (laughs) (laughs) entertaining yes you said that it's the braces do you know what i can blame everything on the brace of the braces (laughs) now where would you find where would you find that tv show I don't know if it's on Netflix. I think it's on SBS in Australia. How do you how do you access that? Oh, you just go online, make an account. For SBS in Australia, if you're not in Australia though, you can't watch things there. Get a VPN, people. Oh. Get a VPN. I don't know the illegal route, Michelle is on top of all those things. I'm not saying I've done it. I just know the ins and outs of it. Right. But yeah, I think it's on SBS in Australia. And uh, it could be on Prime or something in the UK. I don't know. And Americans, you've probably already all seen it. But this actually got me thinking about Angels of Death. And look, I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, Geordie, when, Mm. you know, I mean, look, we were barely born. But (laughs) there was a case, um, a real life case of a guy called Dr. Jack. Kevorkian. Oh, I thought you were going to say Harold Shipman. No, he's another one. But I, I thought, God, there's so many. I don't have time to look into them all. Yeah. So I just made a beeline for Jack Kevorkian. Okay. And because it did, it really blew up in the 90s. It would have been around the time that you moved to the UK, actually. Okay. So I don't know if it got a lot of traction over here or... But it was huge in Australia. I've never heard of it. Okay. Well, buckle up. I say buckle up. It's actually... He's kind of a wild thinker. Do we have trigger warnings for this, Michelle? Is it going to be scary? No. No, it's not scary because I thought it was going to be. But actually, I think it's more entertaining. Not really. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just thought-provoking because he he's this American pathologist who campaigned for the planned death of the terminally ill. Okay. And And I think he was sort of you know, real advocate for what, what the term assisted suicide, medically assisted suicide. And look, even when you just think about 
that term, medically assisted suicide, there's so much to unpack even in the concept of what that means. If you don't remember Jack Kevorkian, his actual name, and I remember it because it was such a weird name. Yeah. But he was also known by his nickname, which was Dr. Death. He was the original Dr. Death. Okay. There's a podcast. I think that's a different one. I think that's a newfangled Dr. Death. One who actually was a a neck surgeon. Oh. And that one is terrifying, chilling. This is like the original Dr. Death, not Dr. Death 2.0. Okay. And I actually think having delved into this a little bit, it's it's a little unfair because he wasn't somebody who just wanted to kill people he really truly believed he was helping people right and you know there are two two sides to this debate but I actually when I was investor duck duck going I found this really brilliant Vanity Fair article from 1991 so it's you know really capturing the mood of the time and what people thought of him and because it was literally right when it was all kicking off. It's actually kind of pro-Kevorkian because they quote him and you hear his voice in this article. Like I said before, it's this murky grey area where society sees in black and white what he's doing as murder. But there's a piece in the article where the family of one woman and her name was Janet Adkins and I'll be talking about her a bit more in a moment. But the the family refer to Kevorkian's actions as a noble service to humanity. So I think the ethics of euthanasia are they're not clear, you know, there there's so much to think about. But I'm just going to run you through some details about about him, about Jack Kevorkian. So he was basically a child prodigy and after he graduated from medical school, he was kind of shunned by his peers because he had these crazy ideas about medical research mainly connected to death and people on death row in 1959 he put together this proposal where he put forth that prisoners on death row should be given a choice to participate in medical experiments that would ultimately result in their death oh my god but the thing is his point was well, they're going to be dying either by the electric chair or injection or whatever. Yeah. They're going anyway. That just kind of feeds into last week when I said my theory on alien abduction, that it's actually the military doing it in secret and they're experimenting on live subjects. There's, is there a need to experiment on live subjects, Michelle? I think there is, actually. I do. I mean, I don't know what kind of feedback they're going to get when he's already dead. Like, you know, when your <laughs> subject's gone. But I and how think, did that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> but let me rephrase that. I don't know that there's a need for it. But I think that society could learn a lot from people saying this affected me in this way. I'm not condoning it by any any means. But I just think there's a lot to think about with what Kevorkian was you know, putting forth, which is these people are going to die anyway. They've been sentenced to death. And he had this thing where, well, why not give the prisoner an opportunity to give something back to the community and to contribute to the advancement of medicine? I don't know. That makes it, it feels really dark, Michelle. feels really dark because it's almost saying that this person doesn't deserve to be treated in a humane manner. No, no, no. It wasn't that he was saying 
they have to do this. They're saying give them a choice and out of their own free will. I get it. If yeah. they want to, uh, yeah, I'll take yeah. I'll take them and I'll, I'll but who experiment would? on them. Who would? What do they gain from it? They don't gain anything apart from, I mean, these are murderers or people who've done really, or maybe even innocent men and women who haven't yeah. committed any murders whatsoever. Well, who would, in their right mind, would ever agree to that? Well, I don't know. I mean, because the thing is, the experimentation was going to happen on the day of their death. Ew. Like, so you had the choice to either have a medical experiment or go to the chair that day. Right. And you could choose and you could choose in advance. And in his mind, what he was proposing was pretty straightforward. Here you go, you've got a choice. You, you want to be a lab rat or you want to go to the chair. No skin off my nose, but here's an option. Blimey. And do you know what, Jordan? I mean, I'm not terribly shocked by this. I kind of see the logic in it. Does that make me so I don't know. <laughs> I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely flawed. I can't believe really? this. Really? Yeah. Well, most people most people are in your camp because okay. um yeah, it didn't go down well. <laughs> and he had literally zero support for his ideas. Look, and I'm not saying that I would support his ideas. I'm just saying Sounds like you would. No, but I'm just putting myself in the prisoner's shoes. Yeah. It's called empathy. Okay. Good like we talked about last we did. week. If I put myself in the prisoner's shoes and look if I did have any kind of remorse and someone said to me, you know, you could actually make a contribution to your life and, you know, maybe have an element of atonement for what you did. I'm not saying I would do it. I would say I would maybe consider it because mm. if I'm going to go anyway, do I want, you know, like those nodes put on my head and be fried to death or an inject I, I i don't know it's i don't know icky. god knows what yeah but oh god knows what the experiment would be it's actually all icky. yeah that's what i want to know you didn't find out no oh <laughs> but, but yeah so anyway he like i said dude had wild ideas that was one of them so after that didn't go down well um he sort of kept a lid on things until 1976 when again, he targeted prisoners on death row and he started advocating for them to, again, contribute to society by um, giving them the choice to donate their organs after okay. after they were put to death. I get that. And, well, that was shut down. People Why? were like, no. Well, I guess people don't want to think oh, I've got the liver of a murderer inside me. But they don't know. When you're a recipient of a, an organ, you don't know where it's come from. Well, I don't know. It, it was shut down. But, I mean, I wonder, you know how they say that water holds the memory of, of things? I wonder if they've if there's some kind of weird icky thing where people, people wonder, oh, I've got the liver of a murderer. I feel really, like... Full of rage, like I want to kill someone. Wow. I, I, mean, I don't know. There's plenty of Hollywood movies that address those very things. I think Face Off was one of them. And behind some, something, someone's eyes, something about someone's eyes. Ooh, there's lots of movies. Or the, the Heart of a Killer. I don't know. I'm just making shit up now. But I reckon there's plenty, <laughs> plenty of Hollywood fodder on that subject. Yeah, I'm sure. And if not, like, guys, take the idea. We're happy. But yeah, so... He was getting a bit of a reputation as someone with really out there ideas. And he, like I said, he was a pathologist and he was working at Pontiac General Hospital in Michigan when he decided to do a few of his own experiments. Oh, sheesh. So he, what he was doing was he was drawing blood 
from freshly dead corpses and injecting them in the the blood into living people. Oh, my God. But mainly the people, like, you know, voluntary colleagues at the hospital who he managed to, like, get on board with his ideas. How? And he got good results, you know, like... You know, it was like, well, why let all that blood just go to waste when it could help people? How? And Can it, help it works. Someone? Well, it's They've like died a blood of transfusion. Oh. Yeah, but who knows? Like, just because you, what if you were in there as a car crash victim and you died and you were perfectly healthy? Yeah. All that healthy blood's going to waste. Was his oh, right. No, thought. I get it. Like, if you're just harvesting the blood for, as yeah. an organ, like, almost like an organ donation, then that's fine. But I've got an image of him taking the drawing the blood and then going straight to nurse Jessica on Ward 7 and saying, sit down, love. I'm just going to inject some of this into you. See what happens. Well, I think that's exactly what he did oh. because he wanted to see if it would work. Because, you know, at the moment, only blood donations are from live people into live people. He was doing blood from dead people into live people and it worked. The blood was still usable. Viable. Okay. So he took this idea to the Pentagon because he thought that it could actually be a really valuable tool on the front lines to help wounded soldiers. Oh, okay. And they shut him down. He, right. They were not interested at all. I mean, the, like I said, he he was a wild thinker. You know, he was really thinking outside the box. And then he turned all his attention onto assist medically assisted suicide and his first medically assisted suicide patient was a 54 year old woman called Janet Adkins she had Alzheimer's and she was diagnosed in 1989 and then she read about Jack Kevorkian because I think he sort of had a bit of a, a name for himself he was advocating for medically assisted suicide and she got in touch with him and you know basically said help me die and a year later he met up with Janet, agreed to help her die, and he made this thing called a death machine. And it was basically a machine he made from like valves and gears and all bits that he picked up at, oh, far out. you know, flea markets and whatever. And he put it all together and it, you know, it was kind of a killing machine. And on the day that Janet was ready to die, he picked her up, drove her to the local park, hooked her up to his homemade suicide machine, which was in the back of his like rusty old VW camper and within six minutes Janet had died and it was a a machine that could inject you with the lethal dose of so he wasn't actually administering the dose no right as soon as Janet died he was basically arrested and charged with murder but murder did you hear I said murder (laughs) murder anyway murder so, but the thing is that in Michigan at the time, there were no laws in place about assisted suicide. So the charges were dropped. And then in 1990, the Michigan kind of governing body, the state of Michigan, actually, they were like, this dude's, you know, he's too out there for us. So they revoked his medical license and they said he was no longer permitted to practice medicine or to work with patients. But thing is loads of people got in touch with him and wanted his help so you know he ended up working off the books working off the books oh. and according to his lawyer he helped 130 plus people <gasps> ter- mostly terminally ill right. in their lives between 1990 and 1998 and um 
you know, he, like I said, he made the death machine, which injected them with drugs that would kill them. But he also made another one, another machine called the Mercy machine, which was like a gas mask, you know, that you would use in combat, right? So a gas mask was hooked up to a canister of carbon monoxide and the person would just put that on and, and breathe it in and float away. So wow. the thing the thing here is that even though he made the machines and was involved in in helping them die, he wasn't the one, you know, pulling the trigger or whatever or even right. turning on the machine. Yeah, it, was, they it was them. They had to press the button to release the the drugs or the chemicals Mm -hmm. so you know technically that's kind of a gray area too and he got called like dr death but i think in a way things have kind of moved on about people's ideas of of what that really really means because i read this thing in the new york times where he said my ultimate aim is to make euthanasia a positive experience. I'm trying to knock the medical profession into accepting its responsibilities. And those responsibilities include assisting their patients with death. And look, when I read that, I just thought this guy wasn't a killer who got off on killing people. Okay. I think he really genuinely wanted to help people die with dignity. And I think when people are faced with a terminal illness... Being in control of when and how you die mm-hmm. must be a great comfort to them. Probably not their families because I think families are always wanting every last moment with their loved ones. But I think it's a really tough decision. And obviously, you know, I in Switzerland, they have Dignitas, which is a non-profit society that helps people die. But... I did some research into that and they've been going since 1998. They've only really had 2,000 people in that time. They've right. only really helped 2,000 people. And I thought, God, I wonder why that is. But actually when I looked into it, it's because it costs around £15,000 to die. So it's not it's not a cheap thing at all. But for in Swiss money, that's actually not very much. But I think for most people, that's beyond beyond their reach. And also... To even be able to get to Switzerland, you have to be well enough to travel. And if you're terminally ill, you probably aren't. So there's a lot of logistics and also, you know, it, there's a lot of box ticking. And the other thing is in Switzerland, you can't have the body taken back to the UK because it's it's a criminal offence in the UK. So you would be charged with murder if you brought the body back because there would be an inquiry. So it's really complex, but... More than that, I think the ethics behind it are also really tricky. But just going back to Dr. Jack Kevorkian, he was tried four times. Four times they tried to get him on murder charges. And he was acquitted three times, but the fourth trial ended up in a mistrial. And then on in 1998... He was actually charged with second-degree murder because they got him on the fact that they'd revoked his license and he wasn't legally allowed to possess the substances that were killing people. So that's how they got him. And he stupidly decided he was going to represent himself. So it didn't go well. And after two days, they found him guilty of second-degree murder and or homicide, actually, and he was sentenced to 10 to 25 years in prison. But he only served eight years and 
two and a half months before he was released. And, you know, he's been a big advocate and campaigner for assisted suicide since. Thing is, over the years, there was a bit of investigation into him. And that's a bit murky. So, there was a report in the Detroit Free Press where they reckon 60% of the patients who died with from Kevorkian's methods were not terminally ill. Ooh. And 13 of them had not even complained of any pain. Oh. So they the report also said that were they mentally depressed or I don't know Ooh. maybe Be- well let's let's see so uh, there was an allegation that he didn't really counsel his patients mm. so there were 19 people who within 24 hours of meeting him were, we're already dead, dead. whoa um he, that he wasn't really offering any psychiatric examinations and you know, in 19 cases, there were people with depression and just unhappy, just unhappy mm. people. That is a little bit murky. And he actually went on, and I read this quote where he said, what the difference does it make if someone is terminal? We are all terminal. So what he means is we're all going to die, whether you're terminally ill or not. The reasons people have are their own reasons so his view was a patient had to be suffering but they didn't have to be mentally ill and he reckons in the same interview it said that he declined four out of five requests so he wasn't so he was picky like I said it's a slippery slope here of ethics and I am for people's free will but also you know what about euthanasia of infants of babies Right. You know, that is, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. No, people with mental incapabilities or disabilities, the elderly who maybe can't make these decisions, financial motivations. Oh, there's a lot to think about. And that's probably why it's illegal, because it's such a, a difficult thing to navigate. I think so too. But with Kevorkian... Angel of death or a man on a mercy mission? For me, I think he's more on a mercy mission. Is he still alive? No, he died in, I think, 2011. He was 83. Uh So he he had a long life, but, you know, I don't think he had an assisted suicide. No one helped him on his way out? Okay. You know, the debate on this is still raging, but yeah. There you go, Geordie. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for that. That's really interesting. Well, I'd love to know what people think about, you know, medically assisted suicide and if anyone has any strong ideas either, you know, for or against it. I think it's a topic that is has a lot wrapped up in it. So. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that it'll be as, as divisive as COVID. <laughs> so there you go. Where do you go? Michelle, I had a little flick around the mags this week and I found a lovely story, which I'm going to tell you about today. Do you remember Phil and Holly, you know, on This Morning? Love them. We we love that show and we (laughs) use them a lot for our research. Well, before it was Phil and Holly on This Morning, it was the married phenomena of Richard Maidley and his lovely wife, Judy Finnegan, a.k.a. Richard and Judy. And we have talked about them before because we were in the audience for their evening show, which I don't think went down too well. But we had a great time, didn't we? We met some great guests. 
Yeah. Back in 1998, Richard and Judy did a show, but Judy was off sick. I think she was having her women's problems at the time. Don't quote mm. me. I don't know. I do remember she wasn't very well for a little while. And Julia Carling was standing in for her. They also had the Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe. If anybody remembers Fortean TV, now Fortean, do you know about why it's called the Fortean Times and Fortean no. TV? There's a guy called Charles Fort. I don't know too much about him, but he was a pioneer in anomalous phenomena. All different things Amazing. that can't be proven. Fortean TV was for people who liked hearing about things like aliens and ghosties and all that kind of thing. So, and there was this fabulous biker style, like rock and reverend. He was old at the time reverend lionel fanthorpe that was his name and he was always kind of like rock and roll and really cool but he was also a reverend anyway he was on for this episode and it was a phone-in called living with ghosts i love it already i love it so the phone-in went as well as it could go then a chap called Kevin Whelan called in from Sleaford in Lincolnshire with a tale to tell. Now, Sleaford you may have heard of because there's a band called Sleaford Mods who are a post-punk musical duo and they've won lots of awards. I haven't heard any of their music, but they're doing very well by all accounts. Okay. Anywho, Kevin Whelan was driving home. No, he was driving from Lincoln, Lincoln to Sleaford on the A15, which is that road in those two directions, on a Sunday, 2 a.m. Now, don't forget, this is in 1998, so it's two weeks before the show had aired. And just before the Rustington turn off, he saw something floating ahead of him on the horizon that looked like a large white bin bag. Kevin wasn't bothered by this at all. He thought it was just car headlights or something weird. But as he approached the bin bag, a face suddenly appeared in the top what? right of his windscreen. What? I know, when I was reading this, it actually terrified me. Kevin said the face looked Greek with dark hair and olive green pitted skin, baring its teeth and holding its left hand up. Oh, my God. Yeah. And below the neck was a bright fluorescence. So it was just like a flash had gone off from the neck down. Kevin was shocked and scared, but carried on driving for almost a minute until the car went into a dip in the road. There's a big dip. If anyone knows this road, he went into the dip and the face faded away. Poor huh. Kevin was so <laughs> petrified. He put his foot down to get home ASAP. And when he got home, he ran in, woke his wife she said he was. she'd never seen him so distressed in all their married life. He was as white as a sheet, covered in goosebumps and crying. I thought you were going to say, and shat his pants. No, he, I don't know if he did. If he did, he didn't air that fact for Richard Nadley on, <laughs> on this morning. He doesn't believe in ghosts, Kevin, so he, he didn't think it would be a ghost. But he later discovered from a local policeman that a motorcyclist had been killed on the same road in recent times, I think, at the same time as he saw this, and he lost both his legs in the accident. Oh. Once this landed in Judy and, well, not Judy, Richard, not Judy, lap, they suddenly found other witnesses phoning in about Ruskington, and Ooh. Richard dubbed it the Ruskington Horror. And that's what it's been known as ever since. And it was our Dickie that named it that. So other witnesses would come forward and tell of their own sightings on the same stretch of road. There was a chicken farmer called Rob Burkett who saw something walking up from the side of the road with his hands up as if to warn him at around 8.30 in the evening. And it was in October or November in 1984. And at this point, 
Dickie decided there's something in this, so he sent a team of researchers off to Lincoln mm. to do some more research. And that's when loads more people came forward. And they had week after week, I think they had uh, talk of the Ruskington horror on this morning. Then there's this guy whose article I read in the Fortean Times is a professor, Rob Gandhi, and he put out a call for witnesses as part of his British Isles horror series in the magazine, the Fortean Times. So Ruskington is very flat and was used as a World War II base uh, for the RAF during World War II. So that may have some kind of link to the events. Who knows? There was another witness, Sarah Martin, who was with her boyfriend in her car returning home from the cinema one evening in 1996 or 97, they can't quite remember, when something ran out from a ditch and in front of their car. This thing had no face and they drove straight through it. Sarah cried out. The boyfriend saw nothing. Oh. Another time, there was a girl called Catherine Stevenson, who was 15 in the 80s. She was walking to school in Ruskington when she felt a cold shiver up her back. She turned around and saw a figure with just a head and shoulders and something like a sheet below with no neck, no arms and no legs just walking out of the ditch or floating, I guess. I don't know. Whoa. So many witnesses, Michelle, came forward to tell the researchers of this morning their own Ruskington horror stories. They weeded out the obviously fake ones because there was quite yeah. a few, but there was such a such a huge amount and they really did think there was something in that. So some research on the area found that there was an execution site or a gibbet, I think it's known as, where they hanged highwaymen and other criminals and put them on display so as to deter other criminals. It's kind of like Game of Thrones when they arrived and there's all these slaves like crucified and stuff. That's the thing they used to do. Well, it's a little bit um, Handmaid's Tale too. Do you remember? No, I don't have. I don't watch it. It's too scary. Oh, they hung all the. the... Don't spoilers. No, it's just, it's just one horrible horrible detail in many <laughs> line of many details. horrible details in that show. Yeah, I won't be watching that. There's also a legend of witches being killed along that stretch of road. And one story goes that a witch stopped, she stopped a Knight Templar. There was also a Knight Templar building or whatever around okay. there, a, a tower. So anyway, this, this witch stopped a Knight and asked him possibly for a toll, so for some money to cross. The story goes that the Knight somehow upset the witch and she cursed him. But the area was then known for horses going lame or coaches overturning. And nowadays it's cars stopping unexpectedly or crashing. But if she cursed him, how did it leave its mark on the the area? It's a bit weird. Yeah, I don't know. I might call bullshit on that. Yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. Some people think the ghost with its warning hand is to let travellers know to beware. And aside from witches and hanged highwaymen, local folklore also names it as a plague pit. Other ideas come up have been the crossing of positive and negative ley lines. Oh. Or is it crashed Air Force pilots from World War II? Oh, or maybe. was it the local hermit who lived in a shack in a nearby field and was run over and killed at the spot in the early 20th century? Oh, so many things. Yeah. Don't let's forget... Our motorcyclist who lost his legs from Kevin Whelan's original story. So they sent out Shirley Wallace, another 40 and TV lady. She's a psychic reader and medium, and she's appeared on the television show 40 and TV. That's not your psychic, Shirley. What's her name? Shirley Ghostman. No, that's a, oh, that's a comedy <laughs> character. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> 
though. This Shirley Wallace is quite legit and she visited the place with a team. They went to a lot of surrounding areas, which I didn't look into, but there is an awful lot of stuff going on. There's that Templar Tower, Dunsby, I think, or Dunsby, I can't remember. Didn't look into it because there was so much info and I just wanted to focus on this stretch of road at Ruskington. So she picked up on lots of energies. Like I said, the Dunsford Tower was a few miles north. But at this A15 site, the Rusk at the Ruskington turnoff, she was overwhelmed with smells and sounds and visions of the mm. supernatural. So she picked up that there had been a gibbet there. Do you remember I said what that was? Yeah, That's yeah, the, the hanging. Hang. Yeah. And also the motorcyclist. And she said that the area, because of all this psychic carrying on and supernatural business, It would cause confusion to motorists passing, especially if they were tired or if it was late at night. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she told Richard Maidley and the This Morning team that the motorcycle, she saw the motorcyclist there in situ. She she came across him and she said he was so distressed by the loss of both his legs before dying that that kept him earthly bound. (gasps) So she got him to leave. And I think she also cleansed the area of about nine or ten other spirits that she found. So she got the motorcyclist to leave by urging him to rush towards her. How he did that with no legs, I don't know. <laughs> I guess he's a spirit. But, and then departing through her body. Sight cleansed, she said. Sight was cleansed. She'd stake her life on it. She'd put her head on the chopping block for it. Well, sadly, Shirley, no, no, no. You were wrong, oh, my love. Oh, no. Because yet more sightings were reported in the coming years. Of the legless motorcyclist? No, the same thing that everybody's been seeing, which is a bin bag floating across or um, a cloaked figure walking across the road Mm -hmm. or a face in the windscreen or feeling like you've run something over, feeling like you've run something over or actually running something over. I've got a few more stories to tell you. It was mostly people seeing the cloaked figure on the side of the road, but one couple who were travelling from Boston late at night had decided to pull in at a lay-by for a cigarette. They both experienced this terrible sensation in their chest of it tightening, and they were both struggling to breathe. They said they had the feeling of being choked by an invisible hand. Really? wasn't just dodgy cigarette. Shouldn't be smoking, guys. No, it's not good for you. Warning. Kill you. <laughs> big hand coming out, big green hand and a scary face going, don't do it. In October 99, a witness was driving his Mini, which is a little tiny car for those of you who don't know, through the local site, followed by his parents. So he was driving ahead, his parents were following on. Once they had arrived at their destination, his mum ran up to him and said they'd seen a person walk in front of his car and that their son had driven right through the person they felt sure he'd knock someone over but as they traveled on there was no one there they were horrified that same witness that same chap with the mini was driving along the same stretch of road a few days later when someone did actually jump in front of his mini so he had to swerve to avoid them and drove into the ditch he was surprised when he got out of the car no one was there (gasps) The following Christmas Eve, this poor bloke allowed his <laughs> allowed his friend to drive his little Mini Cooper or whatever it was, Mini, and they once again went through the haunted site. Yeah. And then the Mini's engine cut out suddenly, so they had to pull over. When they they were trying to start the car again, when they could smell burning, so they jumped oh. out of that car and they pegged it up the road just in time for the car to set on fire. What? Yeah. 
Oh, my God. They called the local fire brigade. There was an explanation, a rational explanation for the engine catching fire, but not for the car cutting out where it did. And this is in that spot where centuries before, carriages would be upturned and horses would go nuts, all sorts. I wonder why they were picking on him. Because he's obviously a local. Yeah, He's there a lot. In 2016, posters, some posters on a Fortean site, so there must be like an internet site, they told this tale that still gives them shivers to this day. They were driving through the site in early evening in February. So it's always in the dark winter months when these sightings occur, Mm. Michelle, it seems. Around now. Exactly. Mm. Be careful, all you Lincolnshire natives. (laughs) They saw a dark masculine figure cross the road. So they, they admitted they were going a little bit over the speed limit at the yeah. time so they had to start their braking when they saw this person cross the road <gasps> they, then yeah. they realised they had to brake really hard to, to let them cross the road but the figure just stopped in the centre of oh the road God. They there were vehicles coming the other way so this person yeah. has stopped while there's a van coming towards this figure in the middle of the road the lights from the van illuminated the figure so the person in the car, the poster, could see this figure really clearly. Then the van didn't stop, went straight through the figure. But the weird thing was the light headlights on the driver's side went out <gasps> just on that side as it went through the figure. Because I want to know if the lights shone through like the figure was transparent or if it was it seemed like a solid figure. No, it said it said it doesn't say it said that it was outlined. The figure was outlined by all mm. the coming. So I don't think it did go through. Yeah, okay. But okay. when the car went through the figure, yeah. the light went out. So maybe it went out for a moment. So it was almost like a solid thing. Yeah. Oof. Weird, right? Really weird. So the research done by Professor Rob Gandhi shows that if you believe <laughs> witness testimony, there's yeah. one sighting a year for the last 30 years. Is there any connection between the dates? Like, is it always in February between these two weeks or I There's wonder? so many. To be honest, mm. Michelle, I only gave you the tip of the, of the iceberg. There are so yeah. many stories, all very, very similar. Some people have seen fog, low-lying fog. There's a dip in the road that I mentioned before. There's a yeah. lot of activity going on in and around that dip. Okay. The Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe, he said he wondered if they were traditional ghosts or people from another dimension crossing through, which we've spoken about before. Oh, I love that idea. But I love why that always idea. with the hand? Why always with the hand? I don't What's know. What's that hand thing? I'm doing the, doing the hand for you. You are Michelle. doing the hand thing. And I'm like, <laughs> talk to the hand. But you know, what? so I remember when I was in New Zealand uh, with that New Zealand boyfriend we talked about a few episodes ago Paul he lived his family's from the South Island and it is very damp and and there's fog and it's misty misty it's really beautiful but really eerie in the winters and he says that he's often felt weird kind of spirity things and he says he there's maybe it's a New Zealand thing I don't know maybe I got this wrong but there's something to do with fog and mist and that it is like spirits like it's a another way for spirits to kind of have I don't know it's vaporous or something but it's well, it goes yeah. colder it's usually if mists there it's because mm. it's gone colder as well mm. so he thinks there's a correlation between all of that and this is it sounds like it's that kind of place in Lincolnshire maybe. cold and misty 
There's no doubt that the area is a vehicle black spot for accidents because mm. a lot of people have had accidents there. Most of the time they have confessed. Witnesses to these phenomena, if you like, yes. have confessed to traveling a little over the speed limit. So I don't know if that's got something to do with it. Maybe they're, I don't know, a little frantic. Slightly out of control. Who knows? Or, Who knows? Yeah. It only happens at night or at dusk and that's when... For me, the light can really play tricks. Yeah. And also there's long stretches of road with flat fields on either side of it and it can become mesmerizing. They're really the only kind of things that they've come up with to explain away, apart from obviously it's ghosts or yeah. it's people crossing over into different dimensions. So which I don't necessarily know if that can be just given as an explanation. Well, what do you think? Having read loads of stories... I am really intrigued and I'm also quite nervous to go there. Oh, really? I'd hate to be one of the people that year to see it. I hate that. <laughs> I'm not like Sean Ryder. I'm not up for it. I'm not up for an experience. Really? But that's probably why oh. it will happen to you because oh. everybody who wants it are like, come on, I'm here. Give me the give me the ghosties. But for you, you're like, I don't want it. And that's when you'll yeah. see it. They yeah. target you. <laughs> they smell the fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what I think. I do, you know, we had some interesting stories. We got from our friend Alex Smart in yeah, Australia who right. was writing for the Reading Times or something, the Reading Chronicle. I can't remember, but he had some great stories like the stone tape theories. Mm. Stone tape? Yeah, but that's, I mean, that can't be stone tape because it's there's no stone walls there. But the idea that an area would soak up memories and replay them, that that's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, And the is. fact that there was a lot of death and a lot of horror that had occurred in that area, which is yeah. being drowned and stabbed, Hangings people being and, hung, yeah. yeah, hanged, airmen crashing to the ground. Mm. Maybe it is ley lines. I don't know much about them. I don't know. I don't either because ley lines are, are something that when we looked into it into a previous episode, you know, you've got your your naysayers and you've got the people who really believe in it. So, I, so ley lines, I, I don't know, but it does seem that, Things do happen in certain spots. Mm. I don't. I. I have no explanation for it. But well, I just found it fascinating. I it thought is it was fascinating. Wonderful. And. Richard Maidley was the godfather mm. of uh, coining the phrase the Ruskington horror. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, Judy. Oh, and do you know what? When we were watching Richard on I'm a Celeb, he was Loved him. pure gold. He was such a nice man. You know. Yeah. He was lovely. So shame he had a health scare and had to leave early. Oh, it was it was the tragedy of the series, really. really was. But mm. um, no, he was he was wonderful and good on him. I wonder if that's a career highlight. <laughs> <laughs> what the Ruskington horror? Yeah, naming <laughs> naming all of these like weird, mysterious things that are going on. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that amazing story. Lots of My stories. Pleasure. So, Michelle, that leaves us to the end of the of the show for the week. And don't yeah. forget, listeners, if you've enjoyed this, then maybe you'll like hearing all about what happened in January. I know you've listened, but you can see us talking about it. There's a few extra little bits and pieces that we've discovered post-show. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, great to see your lovely face, even though I just saw it an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yours. But in the meantime, all we have to say to you guys out there right now is whatever you do, Wherever you are, please don't forget to continue to be eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.
Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eaves